and welcome to The Bunker's Start Your Week. I'm Ros Taylor. Joining me to talk about what's coming up in the next few days is Yasmin Serhan. Morning, Yasmin. How was your weekend? Good morning, Ross. Yeah, it was it was good. I'm I just went back to the US for a bit to see my family after nearly two years. So I'm back and finally over jet lag. So I'm feeling good. <laughs> oh, that's good. We're going to be talking about that because as we record this, Boris Johnson's heading to the US for talks with Joe Biden. But we're going to talk first about the submarine row where the US, UK and Australia have gone their own way on defence and dropped a French order of submarines, which has, to say the least, annoyed the French. We'll also be talking about what the new foreign secretary and the new culture secretary are up to in their first few days in the job and looking at whether we should all still be wearing masks on public transport because the majority of the British population have decided that we shouldn't. And finally, we'll be taking a look at Bake Off, who are the people to watch in the series that starts on Tuesday. But we'll move on now to a story that's been bubbling for a few days, submarines. Yasmin, tell us what the latest is over this French, shall we say, unhappiness of the (laughs) deal between the UK and Australia and the US. I think I think unhappiness might be an understatement there. But yeah, basically, there was a, a huge fallout that has taken place over the weekend, starting from last week when the US, the UK and Australia announced this deal where they would basically share nuclear technology um, and, and build submarines. And the, the reason that this was so... Um, explosive, I guess, probably not the best word to use in this context, but is because um, the French had actually um, established a deal to sell Australia submarines back in 2016. So this deal between the US, the UK and Australia effectively overrided or torpedoed that deal, which was worth billions of dollars for the French. Um, And I think the reason the French are mad is, is I think you could see, certainly if you're on Twitter, you see the French government officials saying that this is a stab in the back, um, that France recalled their ambassadors, a pretty not unprecedented move, um, but certainly a big one. I should say that they only recalled their ambassadors from the US and Australia. Um, I think the reason that they gave for not doing so with Britain is they basically described the UK as sort of the fifth wheel in the carriage on this one, almost as though to say, we would expect this from the Brits, but you know, the US and Australia are allies. Um, and you know, I think there are a couple of ways to understand what's happening here. I mean, first and foremost, I mentioned the money side of this. France is losing out on billions of dollars that it would have had with its submarine deal with Australia. But I think also more fundamentally, it's this idea of these are our allies and, you know, French ministers have been briefing that, you know, they asked the US and Australia about this at certain points. They were told kind of flat out that the deal was still intact. So they feel like they were lied to effectively. Um, the, the only other per- country that I think is really upset about this is China, because it's seen as um, sort of a direct challenge to them in the Indo-Pacific. And um, they accuse the participating countries of having a Cold War mentality. Um, but ironically, yeah, I think a deal that probably would have been expected to anger the Chinese has angered the French the most. Well, Boris Johnson is heading to the US this week. Uh, presumably to talk about things as well as submarines. So the fifth wheel, the trolley, whatever you want to talk to him, is on the loose. As we mentioned, he is keen apparently to cut a deal to ensure that Britons can visit the US more easily at the moment. As no doubt you'll have found out, you have to go into quarantine for a long time, don't you? 
Yeah, so I, by virtue of being an American citizen, obviously, um, I, I get to override those rules. So um, as it turns out, Roz, even though we would probably have the same epidem- or similar epidemiological risk coming from the same country, my blue passport apparently, or my American blue passport, I should say, um, is apparently COVID resistant. Who knew? So yeah, whilst I, an American, can travel back to the US freely, and whilst my compatriots can come visit the UK, visit Europe, and then go back. Um, the US still has in place um, the ban on British and European travelers that it's had ever since 2020, ever since President Trump brought it in um, at the start of the pandemic. Um, and it's been really frustrating, I think, for Europe and, and for Brits, I, I would imagine, because um, they would think when they open travel back to Americans that that would be reciprocal. Um, but it doesn't really seem like there is much of a political need or desire for the Biden administration to really change course on this. It, you know, Angela Merkel was in the U.S. not too long ago. She pressed on this subject. We'll have to see whether Boris is a bit more, um, you know, a bit more persuasive. Um, but, you know, I, I think what we've seen certainly it, over the course of Biden's term is that a lot of his focus is domestic. Um, and, you know, whilst I and you are probably really keen on seeing traveling, op- travel opening up and, and certainly Europeans who live in the U.S., I mean, it's worth remembering that if European, if you're a European working in the U.S., you can't go home and visit your family. You've been separated for nearly two years now. Um, there are a lot of families and, and loved ones who have been separated because of this. Um, but, you know, it's not like Americans are clamoring about this issue. They're still concerned about the pandemic. So being seen to open up travel, even if indeed only to vaccinated travelers, I think is just not something that's high on their agenda right now. What else is Johnson going to be talking about? Um, If he isn't going to have much leverage over travel, can we hope that he might have influence over something else? Or is that wishful thinking? I mean, we'll we'll have to see. There there are a lot of things on the agenda. Um, Of course, we we have the UNGA, um, the the UN General Assembly happening in New York uh, prior to Johnson's visit in Washington. So there are a lot of big big ticket items on the table. Climate kind of being first and foremost. Uh, Boris Johnson has said he's going to urge world leaders to take a lot of concrete action on climate change. Um, I know that he's also going to be trying to get a lot of countries to pay up effectively. Um, I believe Johnson has called on nations to contribute a whopping $100 billion um, or pounds, I should say, um, in a climate finance pot um, ahead of ahead of uh, the COP26 that's happening later this year. Um, so a lot of this is going to be, I think, on making sure that COP26 is a political success and really trying to push world leaders to take more concrete actions, uh, make more concrete commitments to tackling climate change. Um, we've obviously lived through a summer where we've seen um, some of the events um, uh, of, of climate change kind of manifest, uh, flooding, heat waves, uh, fires, you name it. So I think that's going to be pretty big. Um, obviously, Afghanistan and, and the looming humanitarian crisis there, I think, is going to be another thing that will certainly come up um, in the meeting between Biden and Johnson. So um, I, w- I would very much expect that that, that would be an issue as well. Uh, but then beyond that, who knows? I mean, we, we don't really talk about US-UK trade deals as much these days. So um, who, I don't know if that's going, going to make it. Um, but I think those are kind of two of the big ticket things you'd expect to see. It will be interesting to see whether Boris Johnson has talked to Rishi Sunak about um, 100 billion pounds. Uh, that would be, uh, yeah, I, I would be, I would be interested to see whether he was on board with that. 
Um, let's talk about two of the people who were promoted in last week's reshuffle. Uh, Nadine Doris, who is the new Culture Secretary, and Liz Truss, who is the new Foreign Secretary, replacing Dominique Raab. How have they, what have they been up to over the weekend? Have they been trying to bed themselves in with a few strategically placed moves? Do we have a sense of what they're interested in yet and what they'll be doing? Yes, yeah, so Liz Truss is with Boris Johnson right now in the US. So, And, and I think what would the fallout of the... Um, I don't know how to, if they're calling it AUKUS or the Australia UK US deal. Um, I, I can't pronounce acronyms, but um, I, I think that, you know it's it's quite it's it's quite the first job to kind of have to deal with the fallout of that and sort of try to you know kind of reassure French partners and allies that actually this wasn't a diss at you. Um, this is good for the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that's what we've kind of seen from Liz Truss. Uh, certainly, what I've seen over the weekend. Um, Nadine Dorries has has also been quite busy. Um, I think one of the first things she did, which is a bit ironic given the fact that I think she's been critical of, you know, the sort of tearing down of, of historic statues um, that we saw last summer. Um, one of the first things she did was revoke the grade two status of the Dorman Long Tower in Redcar on Teesside, um, which I admittedly wasn't familiar with, but is apparently a brutalist structure um, in a rare surviving monument of Britain's industrial heritage, um, certainly, certainly in that part of the country. Um, and that's paved the way for it to be demolished. So I think there's a bit of an uproar over that. Yeah, it always is over brutalism, isn't there? It's just like it's the <laughs> ultimate test of just how conservative you are, I think, brutalism. <laughs> and it's also been the Lib Dems conference. We shouldn't forget that because although it has got very, very little coverage, they have been talking to each other. Ed Davey, the Lib Dem leader, has been talking about the effects of the pandemic. He's angry about the social care plan and he wants to give parents COVID catch-up vouchers, which would enable them to pay for tuition for their kids to catch up with all the uh, schooling that they've missed during the pandemic. Speaking of the pandemic, there's a big question around masks at the moment. Britons have more or less stopped wearing them. There is a hardcore of about a third of people, I would say, who are wearing masks most of the time indoors. The rest have stopped. And that seems to be particularly the case on the tube and on buses. And I don't know how much in other parts of the country, but I get this strong sense that it's falling off there as well. Yasmin, what's your perspective on masks? How do you feel when you, are you still wearing one? I, I am indeed. Yeah, I have a nice little collection of, of cloth masks and then the, the disposable kind. Um, yeah, I actually feel quite strongly on the mask thing only because um, it seems like the easiest thing to do to kind of keep this pandemic, at least if, if not under control, then at least just from getting worse. Um, you know, I, I, I think if you're you're like me, you've sort of looked back on the last two years and thought, gosh, you know, in a lot of ways, it feels like there's, there's so little that we can do. I don't know whether you sort of helped your neighbors or, or volunteered at a vaccine center, but like wearing masks and trying to reduce transmission that way. And we do know that masks do help cut transmission. I think studies have shown by up to 80%. That is just such a small thing that virtually everyone, barring those with clear exemptions, of course, can do to help cut transmission. And, and what we've kind of seen in Britain, certainly over the summer, uh, you know, or definitely after restrictions were lifted, is that I was just kind of surprised by how swiftly people got rid of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, and, and, and this is certainly a cultural thing too, because I know in the States, uh, a lot of 
obviously the United States is a big country with sort of very pandemic restrictions and, and perspectives, but certainly speaking to my friends on the East coast of the United States, masks are still worn. I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, pretty consistently. Um, and when I've had Americans visit the UK, because as we discussed earlier, they still can, they're always really shocked. They're like, well, no one wears them here. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I, I think with TFL in particular, it's really tricky because we know that there's a mask mandate in place. Um, and, and whilst I could be kind of frustrated at, at my fellow travelers for maybe not wearing one, because, you know, for whatever reason, I, I, you obviously can't tell and you kind of just have to accept that people have the choice to right now. Um, it kind of feels like, you know, it comes down to TFL. Like if you're going to have this mandate, why aren't you enforcing it? Yeah, it is very difficult. And I remember back in the uh, beginning of August, I went to a uh, production at the Barbican of anything goes and hardly anyone was wearing a mask and I was finding it really difficult because I was scared of catching COVID particularly at the time because I was about to go Mm. on holiday so that would have ruined it and just and I spoke to the guy next to me and he said oh I was at a I was at a uh, event with a an NHS doctor an NHS uh, leader last week and he said they don't make any difference so I just stopped wearing them I thought you could be lying or you could just (laughs) not I don't know but anyway everybody here clearly agrees with you but maybe I shouldn't go to productions called anything goes because (laughs) let's face it maybe that's just an encouragement but yeah I was um last day at the weekend I was caught up in a uh, anti-vax march in London um, where I did see weirdly some marchers wearing masks so that was unexpected but I guess it makes sense if you're not going to be vaxxed you really should wear a mask but I was surprised that they (laughs) saw it that way the the anti-vax pro mask contingency I'd love to I'd read a profile on them for sure It was remarkable. And I'm sad to say that there was quite a lot of Trump 2020 uh, QAnon stuff there, which was distressing to see, frankly. I did not, I hoped not to see that in this country, but it has made its way across the Atlantic. Let's talk about Bake Off, which is back on Tuesday. Have you been watching Bake Off in previous years, Yasmin? I've watched it on and off. Um, I would definitely classify myself as a Bake Off fan. um, But the reason my viewing is so sporadic is because I watch it with my kid sister who lives in California. Uh, She's a bit of a star baker herself. She made eclairs uh, once. They're really impressive um, and really good. So I watch it with her. It's kind of our... Our favorite like sort of, you know, show to watch when we're together. So I'm excited to watch this season invariably when I go back to the United States. Um, but yeah, I love Bake Off. It's a, it's a great, it's such, it's just such nice and like calm TV. It's just so heartwarming. I feel like the rest of TV is just like, I don't know, especially for reality, as far as reality TV goes, there's something just so wholesome about it. I really like it. <laughs> and the bubble, uh, the bakers are in a bubble still this year so I don't know I worry slightly about the quality because I think the quality did go down a bit last year because Mm -hmm. they struggled to find people who would go into a bubble and they've done the same this year so I'm a bit alarmed about that but there's a lot of really young contestants so that will be fun to watch yeah I mean as for the bubble I mean I think it's certainly you know it's a big commitment I think before it was just a weekend thing which kind of took a while for me to catch on but um I I figured that the good the food must be or or the I say that their creations must be good this year. And and the only reason I the only reason I kind of suspect that's the case is because Paul Hollywood has talked to reporters about how he gained nearly a stone during filming of this season. Um, so I suspect that that's only a good sign. He just, you know, kept having to, to try all the Baker's creations. Uh, but yeah, there, there are a lot of, there, there are yet again young contestants, one of whom, um, she, I think the youngest is 19 this year, um, and she's the first vegan contestant that Bake Off has had. So it would be really interesting to see sort of 
you know, how she incorporates that into her bakes. Um, as I understand it, she's going to be making everything vegan. So I think particularly for the um, technical challenges, I think when, when they all make the same thing, I'd be curious to see how, how she incorporates that. But um, the poor thing also, I think Bake Off, sadly, I said it's wholesome, but unfortunately uh, this contestant in particular has faced a lot of kind of abuse online um, from people who are critical of her horse riding um, because they claimed it was a cruel sport. So they were accusing her of not being an authentic vegan. So um, yeah, Bake Off has its highs and its lows, but I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch this season. Yeah, there are two people, not one, but two with Greek Cypriot heritage. So it will yeah. be interesting to see them <laughs> facing off as well. And I'm here for the Jür- uh, German-born Jürgen, who um, moved to the UK 18 years ago. And he's an amateur trombonist. And he he only started by uh, baking when he couldn't buy his favourite German bread, his pumpernickel. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. <him, yeah. laughs> so that will be fun to watch. Liasmin, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you did, you can help us to reach more people by forwarding the episode link to three friends or tweet it to them with the hashtag BunkerUp. Get them to send us their feedback. It's really useful. If you enjoy The Bunker, you can help us keep going by backing us on the crowdfunder Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how to get the show early and without ads, plus lots of extra benefits. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for a Bunker Daily. The Bunker was presented by Ros Taylor and produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofranevich, and theme music was Kenny Dickinson. Audio production came from me, Robin Lieber, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production.